Welcome to this BGSM podcast. My name's James Walsh and I'm here today with Rosie Sexton. Rosie Sexton is a professional mixed martial artist. Rosie has an academic background. She has a PhD in theoretical computing and is also a clinician and works as an osteopath with her own combat sports clinic. Welcome, Rosie. Hi there. Uh, over the course of your uh, MMA career, mm. you've been very outspoken about the use of performance-enhancing drugs within the sport. Uh, you yourself has actually you've submitted yourself to voluntary testing before a fight. Mm. Um, can you explain the circumstances around that? I mean, I think drugs are performance-enhancing drugs are obviously a, a problem across the board in sport at the moment. I think. Um, there's a lot of issues there, and a lot of those are common to mixed martial arts. I think with, when you're talking about combat sports, though, you've got the added uh, factor that not only if somebody's using performance-enhancing drugs, they're not only putting themselves at risk, but they're putting their opponent at risk. Because it's the nature of the sport that if somebody's taking something that is enabling them to be bigger, stronger, faster, better able to uh, to, to compete, then that by the very nature it means they're in a better position to do damage to their opponent which obviously becomes a factor so i do think it's perhaps even more of an issue in combat sports than sort of in in, in other sports and as with other sports it, it gets to the stage where if enough people are using performance enhancing drugs it becomes very difficult for people who aren't to be competitive to um set up that level and you have that terrible I mean if if for whatever reason you suspect that your opponent is using performance enhancing drugs the question is well what can you do about that um, and that's that's not a good situation to be in you know none of your options are really good so unless they get they fail a test or they get caught um, which often will be after the fight you know it'll be after the fact even though they do um, so the fight will have taken place already and, you know, you might have got injured or ever as a result of that. So it's not actually going to protect you. Or the question is, well, are you going to go ahead and even the playing field yourself? But in, which, again, it, yeah, it carries its own risks and, you know, the fact that you're, um, well, you're putting yourself in a very compromised position. So it's, it's a tricky one. I, th- I think a lot more attention really needs to be paid to that in combat sports and I think the standard of testing at the top levels at the moment is not good enough I'm going to come out and say that um, I think I have said it publicly on a number of occasions I think it's something that the, the problem is I think sometimes lip service is paid to this idea of we're against performance enhancing drugs but at the same time not enough is being done to make to back that up to make sure that athletes are can actually go into a fight confident that their opponent isn't using. And uh, until we reach that stage, fights are going to continue to be put in a difficult position. So, I mean, I, like I said, I understand the difficulties with testing and it, it's difficulties that are shared by across the board with different sports. You know, I think it, it's very hard to come up with a, a scheme which is completely foolproof. And there's a lot of issues there, but I think it's certainly something that if you if you compare certainly the way things were in mixed martial arts, I think things are starting to move forward a bit. Um, some of the athletic commissions in the in the United States are, def- are putting a bit more um, 
are, are making their testing standards a little bit more rigorous, at least in some cases. You know, I think there's an argument that they're maybe going after specific individuals and looking for scapegoats rather than actually improving things across the board. But um, but I think things it's definitely being talked about more, which is I think a positive step forward. Because there's been a lot of use of um, therapeutic use exemption certificates by high-profile fighters, hasn't there? Yeah, there was. There was. Um, it it became standard at one point for a lot of fighters to. Um, I think, like I said, I think at one stage there were a lot of fighters who were applying for therapeutic use exemption for testosterone supplementation, basically, and claim that they have low low testosterone and they need this in order to. Um, in order to be healthy, is the, the argument was, I need this drug not just in order to compete, but in order to live, uh, to, to have a quality of life, um, and that was uh, sort of filing for therapeutic use exemption, um, which, again, it becomes a very slippery slope, because obviously the problem with um, things like that is, where are you going to draw the lines, and uh, you know, at what level was somebody clinically have low testosterone um and you know if you look at a lot of these guys they're not typically the kind of people who you would look at and think they're suffering from a testosterone deficiency you know it's um so there, there was certainly a lot of speculation that there was there was certainly some speculation that there was some gaming the system going on here um and uh, i think relatively recently the Nevada State Athletic Commission decided that they were no longer going to um, allow therapeutic use exemptions for testosterone, um, which I think is a step forward. You know, I think I think that's. Uh, I mean, there is the argument that some of these fighters may have legitimately been something that, whether it's as a result of head trauma accumulated over a career as a fighter or whatever. But again, the 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 counter argument to that is, if somebody really does have that problem, then they probably shouldn't be fighting anyway. Um, and it comes back to the idea that being a professional fighter isn't a right. You know, it's not something that people are entitled to expect. It's some, um, and people fail medical medical tests for all kinds of other reasons as well. There's significant numbers of people who wouldn't be able to fight because they wouldn't get through the medicals that, that are required. So I don't think it's unreasonable to take that to take that line. Um, Again, the other way to look at it is that's really the tip of the iceberg. You know, the guys who are actually had a clinical diagnosis and were declaring what they were doing are probably the tip of a much larger iceberg here. There's, there's probably a lot of performance-enhancing drug use going on undeclared, um, and that is a lot harder to tackle. So to a certain degree, you wonder whether... This is maybe a little bit of a, an easier target. You know, let's let's tackle therapeutic use exemptions because they're out in the open where everyone can see them. But a lot of the issue is the stuff that's going on not that's not out in the open. Um, and I mean, again, you know, the, the, there's been a rash of fighters failing um, these unannounced tests that have been going on. Which again is a relatively new thing in this book. I think the fact that so many people are failing them suggests just how rare they are. You know, I think that these haven't been on people's radar up until quite recently. Um, 
So again, it'll be interesting to see how that develops and to see whether that's actually going to help to address the problem in any way. Would you say maybe there's yeah. an argument for um, adopting the system that cycling use and, and mm. recently FIFA have taken up, which is the biological passports? Mm. Absolutely. You know, I, th- I, th- I think I, I would love to see mixed martial arts um, coming into line with a lot of the wider recommendations. And um, Again, I think the problem is that because it's a professional sport at the moment, You've you've got similar issues to NFL and Major League Baseball and those sports, um, and the situation there is a lot murkier than it is for for Olympic sport. Um, and again, you could you could speculate as to to why that is, and to you could speculate as to why that is. Yeah, obviously there there's going to be multifactorial reasons yeah. for for large amounts of uh, performance enhancing drug use. Um, mm. Perhaps one area that I was idly speculating mm. about was is the kind of the way that the, the sport itself markets itself. Mm. You know that it is to my very very um, mm-hmm. untrained eye. There's elements almost of American professional mm. wrestling yeah. where it, uh, quite a lot of emphasis on the kind of physique, the male fighters particularly, you know, who really mm. sort of get very ripped and look massive and you know and the female fighters and the fi- I think as well uh, I, think, I think i think that yeah. goes on too i mean in, in fact there's been some criticism of uh, in in some circles of the way that's being promoted um i think with any professional sport you have a bit of a dichotomy between entertainment and sport mm-hmm. i think the the fact that um it is primarily a form of entertainment I think maybe in some people's eyes does compromise its purity as a sport. You know, I think there's arguments perhaps that sometimes people don't necessarily get the opportunities they deserve because things like marketability and, you know, how that fighter can be promoted and who's popular where become factors. You know, especially with with something like mixed martial arts, when there's a question of, you know, which fight are you going to put on which fight card in what part of the world? You know, there's, I suppose, the, the, there's the argument that um, that some of those decisions aren't being being made for sporting reasons, they're perhaps being made for promotional reasons. And again, I mean, it's a difficult line to walk because on the on the flip side of that, you know, the reality is people are running a business here. You know, if in order to be a professional fighter and to to be paid to do that, there have to be people who want to buy tickets, who want to buy those pay-per-views. And uh, so the job of the promoter is to, to sell that. So you're in a slightly different position from maybe in an amateur sport, like, for example, you know, a combat sport like judo, for example. The... Um, I mean, there's politics in every sport, but I think the maybe there's a different set of considerations at play. Something like mixed martial arts. Um, I think I mean, if you look at the way it's been promoted over the years, things have definitely changed. And I think what you're looking at these days is much more regulated. It looks much more like professional sport. If you go back to the early days of the UFC, um, where I mean, it was being marketed. It had that freak show element to it, I say, in the early days. To, I think to attract attention. Yeah, big. Again, 
I think we were talking about this before, but the, the original UFC, um, the idea was to compare people from different styles of fighting, different martial arts, and to see what would happen. So, like you say, it's the, the old question of, you know, what would happen if uh, have a, a karate guy and a jiu-jitsu guy have a fight? What's going to happen? And, um, again, th this was back going back to the early 90s. Since then, I mean, the sport's evolved to a point where ev everyone trains everything, you know. There's a, there's a common set of basics that all fighters have to understand. You know, in order to be competitive at any any level, you have to know how to strike, you know, boxing, kickboxing. You have to know a little bit about wrestling. You have to to clinch work, takedowns, or controlling your opponent. Uh, and then on the ground, you know, the uh, submission work, submission defense, controlling position, things like that. And, you know, all the transitions between those. So that it's an awful lot to learn. You know, there's a, there's a large technical component to the sport, uh, you know, more so than a lot of other sports. Because if you if you think you can break those individual areas down, so you've got boxing, for example, which is a lifetime study in its own right, you know, or, or or wrestling or judo. Um, so I think being able to put those together and combine them, it, it takes quite a long time to get to a point where you're you're able to compete. Level. I mean, you've got a lot of, um, I think, you've got the next generation of fighters coming through these days. Um, back in the early days of the sport, you had a lot of people coming in from different martial arts, different sports. Um, so you'd have somebody coming over from boxing who'd then learn enough wrestling and enough ground fighting to be competitive, or vice versa. You know, you'd have a jiu-jitsu guy, grappler, who learned enough striking, wrestling. Um, but what you've got now is you, you've got uh, kids who are coming through who've been training in mixed martial arts gyms, who've been doing everything from the word go and putting it together and combining it. So they don't think of these as separate things, you know, that they're not a striker or a grappler. They're a, a genuine mixed martial artist. And um, I think you're starting to see that now. Um, mm. you, you tend to see sort of that generation competing. And it's a whole different world. Yeah, I think the sports evolved a lot in that in that time, and that, like you said, there, I think there, there is still that that tension there, that dichotomy between the two things. Uh, I guess um, as the the main market for uh, MMA is is still America, you mm. know, there, there there is a kind of tendency towards um, wanting athletes to be the biggest, the the strongest, mm. you know, that there is that the American sport does tend towards those kind of extremes a little bit more, perhaps, than uh, some of the the European outlets. I think there it. there is definitely a different style to it. You know, I think if if you look at um, if you look at the the big biggest European promotion, Cage Warriors, um, and they've they've got a very different style from the American promotions, the, the way it's presented and the way it's. Um, and to be honest, I mean, I, I like that a lot better. You know, it suits me. Uh, but again, that might be because I'm British. Is there anything, would you say, specific about your your training which would would be unique to mixed martial arts? Is there? Um... I mean, I think there's a lot of um, crossover with a lot of other sports. I mean, obviously, boxing was the obvious one. Mm -hmm. You know, there'd be a, um, we share quite a lot of elements in common with. I think the thing with mixed martial arts is there is so much you have to fit into a typical training week. Uh, it's very common to see fighters overtraining because just because there's such a, a large volume of stuff you have to do. And I think then managing that, managing the volume is a huge deal really. Um, 
I mean, I know a lot of people who've run into problems where you, you get halfway through the your eight-week fight camp and you end up getting sick or hitting overtraining, and then it's really hard to recover. It's like if you're in close physical contact with a lot of sweaty people a lot of the time in the gym you know all it takes is for somebody to come in with a bit of a virus or something and your immune system's a bit low because simply because of the volume of training you're doing and a lot of the time get even getting to the fight in one piece and ready to fight is that's half the battle you know I think the the fight itself once you get there is uh, I mean it's a cliche but people say that's the easy bit that's the fun bit (laughs) it's the eight weeks beforehand that uh, And uh, again, when you know, when you look at fighter salaries and what people are being paid and things like that, people go, "Oh, you know, he's being paid so much for for fifteen minutes." It's like that. That's great. It's like it's not the fifteen minutes. It's the it's the eight weeks beforehand. It's the build up. It's all stuff you have to do to get ready to be there. So the those fifteen minutes, that's that's the fun part. Yeah, so quite aware of the the differences as you move up through there. Would you say you experienced that yourself? That you had to change the way that you trained as you as you moved up the levels. I think you certainly, yeah, you certainly change the way you train. Well, as you get older, aside from anything else, I mean, I'm often a lot of the gyms I train at. There's there's a lot of young lads in there who you know eighteen, nineteen, twenty, and I mean they can be in the gym five six hours a day doing stuff and you know they're, they're still bouncing around at the end of it and I can't do that anymore you know I, I can still put in a, a hard session I can still but I can't do it I can't do the, the volume that they're doing it takes me longer in between to recover I've got to sort of plan rest days a bit more carefully I know that you know if I skip my day off whatever if something comes up and I end up then I'll be suffering for it for the rest for the next week you know and I can't get away with things that I could when I was when I was younger. Um, it just means you've got to be a bit more careful about what you're doing. I mean, I think it I mean you you can still train hard, but you have to train smart as well. So it, again, it's getting that balance because you want to keep the intensity. You, I mean, there's there's people who who compromise by spending more time in the gym but obviously you're not you're not hitting those peaks of intensity which i think especially when you're training for competition you need to be you need to be getting those so i think the only way to do that is to cut back on the volume or mm-hmm. at least to periodize it carefully and i mean i've got guys who i'll talk to about doing that and who'll help me out with with things like the planning and preparation because obviously that's not quite so much my side of things you know i've i've got specialist strength and conditioning coaches who'll take care of that side of things for me um so i don't have to think about all the different elements because again you you, it's hard for especially when you're in there doing it to to juggle everything things become very counterintuitive um it's it's easy to look at somebody what somebody else is doing and to look at somebody else's training plan um even when i'm working with fighters who are injured you know you, you can you can see from the outside what's going on but when you're in that same situation on the inside it looks very different and i think the obvious the the thing that looks obvious from the outside isn't obvious when you're when you're in there. So do you have a um, a fairly big team that you work with? Yeah, I mean I've I've got um, specialists in all the different areas. I've got my MMA coaches. You know, when I was fighting regularly, I have all, all these different people I'd go and talk to and, and and put that all together. So I think that's important. You know, you you need um, you need people who can take care of things for you. I mean, I've I've got a nutrition guy I work with who who when I'm competing he'll write my nutrition program 
And it's not necessarily that I couldn't do it myself. Is that, again, you tend to lose perspective when it's you that's the one who's there being hungry. This can't be right. I shouldn't be feeling this hungry. But when somebody's looking from the outside and you say, ah, this is what you need to do, then it's it's a different sort of thing. And I think, I mean, obviously, it's it's a combination. You need to take both of those perspectives into account. You know, the view from the inside and the view from the outside. Um, but I think if you're missing one of those, there have been times when I've tried to manage a lot more of it myself and it never works well. You know, I think regardless of your level of knowledge, I can do that for somebody else, but I can't do it for myself reliably. Because again, you, you end up second guessing yourself. Sort of when you when you wake up in the morning and you're feeling a bit tired, and a bit, you go, am I overtrained? Should I be doing this session? Should I back off? And I think it, it's very hard to make those calls objectively when it's you that's doing it. Um, so I think that's why it's important to have somebody somebody outside who can look at it and go, yeah, you need to take today off or no, you just need to uh, Suck it up. Toughen up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's something that, we, you know, um, we see across all, all different yeah. sports, yeah. you know, it is definitely a teamwork approach mm. to sports medicine is something that mm. we're, we're very keen on here at the BJSM. Yeah. And you yourself are mm. a clinician, so mm. uh, you work as an osteopath. Um, so do you want to tell me a little bit about your practice and, and what you do? I mean, at the moment, I spend a lot of time working with, with mixed martial artists, well, martial artists of all kinds, combat sports athletes, uh, grapplers. Uh, I think it's mostly come about through word of mouth, really. And those those are the circles I tend to mix in. So obviously word, word spreads within those groups. Somebody comes into a gym with an injury and somebody else goes, oh, you need to go and see Rosie with that, which is I mean, quite a good situation to be in because obviously that's you know, quite a good niche. And um, also I think those people really appreciate having somebody they can come to who understands the sport so i mean even when when they're trying to explain how they got the injury sort of saying well i was in this position and he had his legs wrapped around here and this twisted that way and by this time you know your, your typical sports medicine practitioner is looking at you like got two heads and uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, having um, watched some of the um, some yeah. of the videos explaining yeah. some of the the intricacies of the movements uh, would be quite difficult. Yeah, I mean, again, it, it, it's quite it can be a tough thing to. I mean, one to explain the mechanics of it. I mean, I've I've been in the situation myself when I've gone to see people with a, with an injury um, before I studied as an osteopath, um, and you go to see somebody and you'd. Uh, You'd explain what you're doing and how you got it, and you just get this sense that they're going, "Why?" <laughs> it's not quite the same as when you've got somebody who who's involved in the sport, who understands the sport, who understands your perspective as an athlete mm. and why you're doing it, and why you desperately want to, this to be okay for a week on Saturday so that you can compete. So obviously you've been on the receiving end of, of many injuries. I can see you've got some impressive looking scars <laughs> on your arms there. Um, you also treat them as well. Would you say there's an overall pattern uh, to combat sports injuries that you see as a mixed martial artist? I would say probably sort of disproportionate number of neck and shoulder injuries. Which as an osteopath you'd be well suited Which, to treating. I think having had a certain amount of experience with injuries myself, it does give you a, a perspective. Um, 
that can be helpful when it comes to comes to treating other people. I'd say I've, I've probably I probably benefit from that in my in my clinical practice. Would you say that uh, your your osteopathy has helped you at all with uh, understanding the mechanics of, of mixed martial arts? That's a, that's a good point actually, and I think I think maybe it does in in certain respects. I think if anything, it's the, the knowledge of anatomy is always useful, um, and and biomechanics and how things work. Um, it's obviously if you understand how things work, then when you're trying to figure out how to make things stop working, that's it's they're the two sides of the same coin, if you like. That sort of understanding that it does work both ways. Thank you for joining us for this BGSM podcast. I hope you have a physically active day.